sorry I don't love you A phrase I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Jameson Ketchum. We will be talking all about the perks of being a wallflower today, but before we do that, I want to let you all know that today's show is brought to you by Grammarly, an intelligent writing app. You can download Grammarly's browser extension and create a free account at getgrammarly.com forward slash geekdompod. We'll have that link in the show notes so you don't have to do any memorizing or anything like that. But we did make it somewhat easy to remember since it is just our Twitter handle at the end of the link. But now we're going to go ahead and dive into today's conversation. Jameson, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm definitely excited to be talking about this. It's been a while since I've actually thought about this book and movie. So mm-hmm. when you suggested it, because, you know, we were running through a few ideas before deciding <laughs> on one, because, you know, with the state of Hollywood right now, it's sort of tough <laughs> yeah, to decide what limited. to talk about <laughs> and what not to talk about. So, you know, this is a book by Stephen Chbosky. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. I literally looked up the pronunciation of his last name before doing this so hopefully i I am getting it (laughs) i actually did too right before when we were just talking over twitter i had to go find a youtube where someone pronounces it and you're right chaboski yeah so this is one where it actually is pronounced kind of how it looks so that that makes it nice and easy but this book came out in 1999 which is not a time period when I would have been reading a book like this because I would have been (laughs) turning seven that year or something like that. So, you know, I definitely found this book much, much later than that. And I think the reason I checked it out was probably because of the movie, too. So Hmm. were you early to this before the film adaptation was announced and everything? I was. Yeah, I definitely didn't read it. Yeah. In 99, I would have been about 13, which probably would have been about right had I known of it at the time. (laughs) Um, but no, yeah, I came to the book first. I was just trying to remember how exactly I did that. I, I want to say there's probably some vague memory of the band, the wallflowers, and then hearing maybe where that came from, or even that term wallflower. Um, so I, I did come to it. I think I was maybe about 19 or 20 when I read it for the first time. Yeah. And the movie came out in 2012. So I probably read the book somewhere around there, which would have made me Mm -hmm. roughly the same age you were when you watched it and everything. So maybe slightly younger. But it's one of those things where I was in college when the movie came out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's even though this takes place more in high school and everything like that, it was still a good time personally for this to drop and for me to sort of find out about it and you know i could probably go check goodreads and see if i have you know like the dates read for this Mm -hmm. book but Mm -hmm. i've read a lot of books since then so that might take some searching but yeah i think what he really did well with this book was portray high school kids as realistic as he possibly could especially for you know being a adult male writing about high school kids again you know it's one of those things where obviously adults are writing kids shows and kids movies all the time because you don't you're you're not putting kids to work so (laughs) it's one of those things (laughs) we should be (laughs) 
It's one of those things where you sort of have to go off memories you have. And that is basically what he did do for this book. He was working off of his own memories and still, you know, spinning it into a fiction novel. Yeah. And I, you're right. I think he I think he not only captured that that high school feeling perfectly, but he also had the added bonus of you know like i said i read it probably just coming out of high school or or just had being done with high school but the added bonus of of kind of wanting to look back and be like did i do i'm just we'll get into this deeper i'm sure but almost like did i have enough fun in high school like did i have friends like that did we go you know things like driving through the tunnel that they do in the book like did i do enough high school type things because you only get one chance at those types of memories i think he did a really good job with that yeah, and the main character, Charlie, he is dealing with a ton of tragedy that, honestly, I would say most kids in high school don't deal with because mm-hmm. he lost a friend to suicide and he was someone, Charlie was someone who didn't really have too many friends. So for him to lose this one good friend that he had was definitely tragic to him because you just saw how important that one friend was to him and then he is sort of struggling to make his way through high school and he doesn't have any friends really until all of these other things start happening for him and he sort of finds this moment where he feels like he belongs again yeah and i and of course that's a very like stereotypical is kind of the wrong word maybe but that can be a very standard story especially for a kid going into high school and and it's this big scary world that you don't know what to expect you know charlie's a freshman the the book starts at the beginning of his freshman year and the friends that he makes are all for the most part seniors which is also a very odd thing and it's kind of something i forget while watching the movie and reading the book is that is the age gap there um but it's such a good representation though too of the fear that most of us felt going into high school and especially if you didn't have any friends, only only had a few or your friends split up, went to different schools like that was a very like intense, scary time. It's so hard to wrap our heads around now. It seems like nothing. But at the time, it's your entire world. And he does the the book just does such a good job of showing that fear and then showing the joy that comes with like, I made a friend like that sigh of relief. Yeah. <laughs> of, like I might I might have a group now. I might have peers. Yeah. And then he kind of takes it all away in the story, too, though, because at the end, you find out that Charlie had been molested by his aunt. And that is something that I think a lot of people probably wouldn't expect by the end of the book with the first time you read through it and everything, because it's one of those things where it's like he already starts off having this big tragedy in his life. And then you find out he's been repressing any possibly an even bigger tragedy for a very long time. Yeah. And I think you, I think the sympathy, I mean, certainly the sympathy increases, but someone also could read the first part of that book without knowing about the ant storyline and just kind of be like, well, he's kind of just being wimpy, you know, like he's, you know, he's blowing this up into a big deal. He'll be fine. You know, like, did we really have to have a whole book, a whole book explaining this stuff? And then of course you hear that and you're like, there is, I mean, way more, way more layers to this than is on the surface for sure. And even when you mentioned the ant storyline, I recently rewatched the movie and I forget about that part all the time it's so it's so jarring and it's so counter to 
you know, it could just be this coming of age high school story, but then you throw this very sad and intense uh, tragedy in there, which unfortunately also is a lot of people's realities too. And uh, the fact that he, you know, hadn't said anything about it on top of this other thing going into high school, blowing up his whole world. There's, there's a, he's a much more complex character, I think, than, than even I give him credit for as a, as a fan of the book. Absolutely. And it seems like he really does forget about it until he starts getting closer with Sam and that is what really pushes him over the edge and brings all of those memories back. So to have him sort of start and end the book in a similar way, but then have mm-hmm. this great journey throughout the middle portion of the book, it's a lot in not so many words because, you know, I've been reading quite a few Stephen King books lately and he's mm-hmm notorious for having these long epic books and everything like that but with a book like the perks of being a wallflower it's only about 250 pages give or take depending on which edition you have so it's not a super long book and i think the pacing of it just makes the story work so much better because you're not dragging out these events either it's like okay this is sort of happening like in real time as if you were actually in high school and we're just gonna go right through it and you don't really have as much time as you would like necessarily to sort of sit with what has happened it's just like the story keeps going and going and you're like by the end of it you're exhausted pretty much because you're like wow what just happened sort of thing and you can imagine that's how charlie feels too throughout the story yeah, and the fact that he we're we're reading these private letters that he's sending to someone else. I mean, that's how the book is is set up. So he's yeah. he's also writing from a place of complete honesty and complete transparency because he's not, you know, he's not just telling this this audience of strangers a story. We're we're getting a glimpse into this very private conversation that he's having. And it's one-sided, but we're getting the most raw, honest um, version of all of this. So it's kind of a cool device to be able to use that and be able to expose like as, as the narrator expose like all the ugliness completely and all the struggle without saying, you know, but, Oh, I'll get through it. Or, you know, Oh, I'm just having a rough time or sugarcoating anything. I think he's so completely exposed in those letters. Yeah. And just generally about books here real quick, do you typically read a book before watching a movie adaptation of it? Um, I'm glad you asked that because this was probably at least that I could think of in preparing and in, in getting ready for this podcast. I think this was the only one I could think of where I'd read the book a good amount of time before. And when it, the movie was announced, I had that very snobbish thing of like, just don't even make it like this book is perfect. <laughs> You're not going to get it right. You're not going to get the <laughs> casting right. Like, please don't try. Like, I don't I don't want to attach anything negative to like my great experience with this book, which of course, you know, I'm one of millions of fans of this story. Um, but typically, no. Typically, I, I I do like to go back and read read the book after. But what about you? I typically try to do the opposite. I try to read the books first because I guess just growing up with the Harry Potter books because of when those came out and then how the movies started coming out, I was just mm-hmm. always reading the books before seeing the movies. And 
I have made some exceptions. Like recently, <laughs> I watched Gerald's Game on Netflix before reading the book because mm-hmm. I had this idea in my head that I was going to go through and read Stephen King's books in chronological order. So, oh wow, I would have had to skip ahead <laughs> like ten or fifteen books to get to Gerald's Game. But I think I'm mm-hmm. just going to have that go out the window, and I'm just going to read the ones I want to read because I recently saw that Doctor Sleep is going to be adapted into a movie, and oh. that's sort of a sequel to The Shining, which I've already read. So now, you know, I'm reading Firestarter right now. So I Mm -hmm. will probably finish that and then just sort of let go of this idea that I'm going to read everything in chronological order, because that (laughs) might take me a long time to get to Dr. Sleep then, since that's a more recent book. But I typically do like to read books before watching the movies. And it's something I recently did with Murder on the Orient Express. I saw that the movie was coming out. And that's another book like this, where it's short enough that you can quickly get through it before a movie comes out, especially Mm -hmm. with as much lead time as we get on movies these days with them being announced. And then it's like, you know, they don't even have a script yet or anything. So you have time to get to them most of the time but I'll, I'll definitely make exceptions and mm-hmm. I'm I'm like 90% sure I read this book before watching the movie mm-hmm. because I just remember in college I probably didn't go to the movie theater all that much I maybe went to the movie theater like once or twice in Philly because there was really only one nearby I guess I don't I don't know what my reasoning was for that but mm-hmm. I think you know reading the source material first is never a bad idea but then i feel like it can sort of ruin movies for you at times but luckily with things like harry potter the movies were really (laughs) well done and you know with murder on the orient express i went into the movie knowing i probably wouldn't like it as much as the book just because of the content of the book and how many times murder on the orient express had been made into a movie or something like that so i definitely understand your feeling with this though because the book was so good it's like why 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 ruin it but you know i i think we'll get into that more when we start talking about the movie though yeah well and i realize this could be a many other episodes but i am curious with with it because i did hear that if people the people that were diehard fans of the book weren't that big of fans of the remake i thought the remake was great but i haven't read the book I honestly (laughs) have not read the book or watched the remake. I believe I have watched the original movie, though, with Tim Curry Mm -hmm. in it, or at least portions of it, because that's something that's sort of just like always on around Halloween. So I feel like it's kind of hard to avoid a movie like that. (laughs) So it's one of those things where, you know, like I said, I'll probably start jumping around and, you know, read the big books that have adaptations like it and then Dr. Mm -hmm. Sleep coming up and whatnot. But those books are such... I don't want to necessarily say such a chore to read, but it's just so much in a book yeah. with yeah. Stephen King's books sometimes. So those definitely take some time to get through. And mm-hmm. going back to this book, though, you really can sort of put yourself inside Charlie's shoes while you're reading this because of, like you said, the format of it. You're reading these personal letters and it's like... I don't want to say like the readers necessarily become Charlie, but it it really feels like you're inside his head the entire time you're reading through the book. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we get into the the film part, that's what they did a really good job of, too. But um, yeah, I remember just feeling uh, even being like I said, even being, you know, close to the end of high school or at least at least past the like really intense um, high school, you know, phase. 
uh, when I read it, I still just, it, it took, for one, it took me back right away. It, it made me feel like, did I do enough? Did I have enough fun? Did I, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, not break the rules, but, you know, like kind of push the boundaries enough in, in that fun way in that, you know, I don't mean that in a, in a mean hearted way or anything, but, um, did I have the full high school experience that I'm reading about with him here? And I, I don't know, I, I don't feel like I could identify with him in terms of, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any problems making friends or, or anything like that. But in terms of almost analyzing the friendships that he had and like the way that he's so sweet with like the gifts that he gives his friends, he's so tuned into what like each person in the group is about and what they like when he gives them their gifts. I, I just love that, that idea of your friends in high school are so like, are so much your family. It's your whole world. And we tend, I mean, of course, we, you know, we, we make other friends as we grow up and, and, you know, other things fill our mind, but he does such a good job of, of helping us remember, like, remember when this was just like everything in your world. I love that. Yeah, I did just go into my Goodreads account and look up when I read this. And it says I read it three years ago. So who knows like how accurate <laughs> that is. It could be like three and a half years ago or something like that. So it was either right around when I was finishing college or right after I had just gotten out. But I'm pretty sure I was still at Drexel when I read it because I think I borrowed it from someone there. And I totally gave it five out of five stars because I mm -hmm. just really loved how the story was told and what story was being told because in a way it's you know sort of this typical high school experience for some people but there are these extra tragedies added to it that just amplify everything that Charlie is feeling so it was one of those things where I think those tragedies sort of helped it become a more unique story and something that different people would be able to relate to in different ways. Yeah. And I, I think I always wondered too, I know that when I read it, I, I was, uh, you know, at least in my friend group at the time, I felt like a bit of an, an outsider just in terms of like the things that I liked and stuff, uh, being, you know, super into like <laughs> emo music and screamo music and all, you know, stuff at the time that wasn't like necessarily like the norm for every kid. That was still kind of now it sounds so silly to say that, but that was more of like a unique thing, I guess, maybe. Um, and a lot of my I went to a richer high school. A lot of my friends were just kind of into other things. And so I felt a little better than outside with that. But anyways, I, I remember reading the book and thinking like if like the popular jock at your at any given high school read this book, would this not register to that person at all? Like, is this the way that Sam has that line about like, welcome to the island of misfit toys. I love that, that concept of just not in a pretentious way, but just like that, those, that group is, is slightly off kilter from the quote norm of what like high schoolers should be and what they should care about and pursue. So I, I always thought like, who, like, is this appealing across all, um, all clicks, <laughs> I guess, or is this is this a book that is specifically, you know, of course, by the title, specifically for like that slightly outsider person? Yeah, I definitely know what you're getting at. And I think it really does depend because like when I was in high school, I played sports, but I was al also in like the nerdy tech classes. So <laughs> yeah. I, I was one of those high school kids that was like somewhere in between. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. it's one of those things where it's still a story I could really find something to enjoy in it, even though it's really a sad story. It's just mm -hmm. one of those things where it's so well done that you sort of get so engulfed in it and you 
really start thinking about all of these things that Charlie is going through. But is there anything else about the book that we haven't hit on just yet? Oh boy, uh, I don't <laughs> think so. I would, I mean, for any, of course, for anyone that hasn't read it, I highly recommend it. It's, I feel like it's one that every every couple years I'll like kind of pass it by on my bookshelf and be like, I I need to read that again. And I feel like I've probably only done that maybe three or four times now over the years, but that I get something new out of it each time. I just or I notice something new each time. So it's definitely such a like a living story. And even though the portrayal of high school and high school kids is now outdated, um, it makes me also just hope. I don't I don't have kids or anything, but it makes me also just hope that like kids still have those types of adventures, those types of friendships, those types of evenings where it's just like sitting around joking, doing nothing. You know, I don't know. All that stuff just sounds so appealing. That's such an old man thing to say. <laughs> no, I totally understand. But before we move on to the film discussion, I want to let you all know a little more about Grammarly. So for you, the listeners of Welcome to Geekdom, Grammarly is offering a free download of their software. And what Grammarly does is they have AI-powered products to help people communicate more effectively. They help you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. So if you just download that browser extension or the software, you can easily get access to that. They correct hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. So, you know, things like writing in the passive voice, which I seem to do a lot, I am told. <laughs> so it's one of those things that can really help you just improve your writing all around. And to download Grammarly today, you can go to getgrammarly.com forward slash geekdompod. Again, that's getgrammarly.com forward slash geekdompod to download their software for free. But like I said, that link will be in our show notes. So you don't have to memorize it. We'll just have it available for you to click on and check out and this is a great way to help support the podcast and just let Grammarly know that you heard about them through us. So thank you to Grammarly for sponsoring this episode. But now we're going to dive into the 2012 film for The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And Jameson, one of the main things I want to talk about first here is the casting, because I think yes. they did a really great job casting this movie because even some of the parents that you see or and doctors and things like that it, you really have just a stellar cast here you have yeah. logan lerman as charlie you have emma watson as sam and ezra miller as patrick so those are sort of your three main characters that you will be seeing the most of but then you have actors like dylan mcdermott paul rudd and joan cusack playing these other roles in the movie and I think, you know, like you said, it's hard to not be worried about whether or not someone is going to get a movie right when you love the book so much. But I mm -hmm. think they did a better job than people expected with this one. I think so, too. I remember talking to a friend when when the movie was announced and, and she was the same as as me, just a giant fan and just saying, oh, I just hope they don't mess it up. And, and then a few months later, we'd heard that um, Emma Watson was cast as Sam and, and I you're gonna you're not gonna like this but i'm not super into harry potter i'm not into harry potter i should say um not that i didn't enjoy her and know who she was and everything but people i felt like people that were very big harry potter fans were like no trust me like she's got this and i was like yeah i just don't think <laughs> i don't know it's not not what i pictured she's too like in that world i don't know if this is gonna work 
but her, and we'll get into, I'm sure everyone, but specifically, I think for Sam, because Sam is such an important character. Sam is that, uh, at least after you read the book, she's the girl next door, but also kind of the edgy older girl. You know, she's the one you want to impress. Yeah. She's the one that like, you like all of her taste, even though you don't really know what you're liking. You just want to like what she likes. And so specifically for Emma Watson to start with, I'd say they, they really did nail it with her. Yeah. And as someone who enjoyed Harry Potter, it was one of those things where you get so used to seeing an actor or actress as this one character, especially with something that ran for eight films like Harry Potter did. And it was sort of weird seeing her start appearing in other things because I did sort of go on a run where I was watching other movies that she had been in. I think I watched this, The Bling Ring, and you know those came out back to back years, so it, they were totally different roles than Hermione Granger. <laughs> so right. it was sort of startling to see her, you know, with the shorter hair and not looking like Hermione Granger in these other movies. And right. I think you know she definitely surpassed my expectations in this because sometimes it's so hard to get someone's main role that you know them from out of your head long enough to be like okay yeah they 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 have to go do other things now you know harry potter's over so obviously they're going to be all of these non-harry potter characters now and it definitely impressed me with this movie because this one came out literally i believe a year or so after the final harry potter movie so Mm -hmm. you know she didn't really sit around just you know and she could have reminiscing on the harry (laughs) potter days or anything like that and Mm -hmm. you know i'm sure you know she had plenty of money to do so if she wanted to but for a lot of actors and actresses they really do want to keep working and keep putting out things that they really believe in and i think this while i don't think it was her first role after harry potter i believe it was her second one Mm mm-hmm it really set a tone for what else she could do, I think. Yeah, yeah. I I was so, like I said, I mean, I feel like I came in biased, but not really for any reason because I hadn't, you know, I hadn't really seen all the past work or at least seen most of what she was known for with the Harry Potter stuff. But um, I think that, yeah, you're right. Come seeing, And especially, again, like, you know, she's doing an accent. She's got to be this all-American girl. And there's all these little tweaks and stuff to where I think that's why, of course, there was a worry of just like, I don't know. I don't know if that's that. She's a girl next door, but not the right type, not for this book. She's not edgy. She's not this or that. And I was within, yeah, I'd say within minutes of her character being introduced, I was like, okay, I get it now. Like, I she, she figured this out very quickly. Um, I think Charlie, I didn't. Oh, here's what I was going to actually start with. <laughs> I was going to ask you this. Uh, I, I found that maybe when I was like 18, 19 or so, when I'd read a fictional book, I would start to assign actors in my head and not even like, oh, they would be great if they would make this a movie. But just based on a character description, I'd be like, oh, it kind of sounds like they're describing Ben Affleck, whatever. Right. And so. So again, I mean, we we go into the movie or once the movie's announced where we go into that like, well, I know how I would do it. <laughs> I know who I would cast and if yeah. they get and if and if they don't go with my choices then it's it's just going to suck. <laughs> but I could have never picked anyone that's in this movie. Like I would have never thought of any of these people. Clearly they know what they're doing and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes I've 
just read in articles or heard on podcasts and whatnot that even when it comes to casting shows, sometimes it's the unexpected actors who come across and audition. Like I just recently finished watching Sherlock and I watched one of the Mm -hmm. bonus episodes for like the behind the scenes stuff. And it took them so long to find an actor who would play John Watson. So then Mm -hmm. when they finally found Mart, I believe it's Martin Freeman who plays that role, you know, it just clicked. And right. you really need groups of actors and actresses who will work well together. I feel like that's why a lot of things like the Marvel movies, like Avengers, they work mm-hmm. well because the actors themselves work well together. And if yeah. you didn't sort of have them all getting along off screen, it might not feel as cohesive on screen. And, you know, I'm not including any of the writing or some of the missteps Mm -hmm. Marvel may have had here or there and that it's just from a chemistry perspective for the actors and actresses and I think the chemistry in this is what really made the movie work as an adaptation yeah and I think the biggest example and I know you just did a Batman episode but of course the biggest example being Heath Ledger I remember that getting announced and just being like what like I, he's great of course but no for this, this is... <laughs> and then you and then you see it and you're just of, you know of course you're blown away and then you just yeah. think man like the eye that that these casting people have like they have they just have a whole other thing in their mind they just to be able to view who knows if that's what they envisioned but to even just have the faith to be like i'm just telling you i think this guy will do something really weird and great with it uh it's i don't know not something i can wrap my head around I totally get what you mean. Recently, you know, going off of bringing up Batman real quick here, I had gone through with one of the editors over at Hidden Remote and we did a post on recasting Bruce Wayne in Gotham because I feel like the Bruce Wayne they have now, he's a good actor, but he doesn't feel like someone who could end up being Batman to me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so we were going through and we had a set criteria it's like okay they have to be at least six feet tall because batman can't be short (laughs) and you know the kid that they casted he wasn't very big when the show started he was like this small skinny kid and he's still really skinny but he had like a growth spurt so now he's just kind of lanky looking and i'm like (laughs) "Mm, i don't really see him becoming batman you know it's like he's he's okay as bruce wayne but you know So we just went through and put together a list of 10 other actors, I believe it was, who could play the character. And, you know, a lot of them are sort of beefier guys, I guess you could say, who would probably Mm -hmm. fill out a Batman suit better because you can't have a (laughs) lanky looking Batman because then it it would sort of just look like the Joker's under there, you know? (laughs) Yeah, not intimidating at all. Yeah. So it's definitely something like that where you can certainly tell when the casting works and when maybe it's slightly off for what viewers want to see. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I want, yeah, I would love to have known what the casting process was like for that. Or if, or if the author had people in mind from the start or when they, you know, bought the movie, I would love to know what he envisioned. I I was just trying to pull up IMDB to see if they, sometimes, you know, they'll list, you know, everyone else that auditioned for certain parts. Um, I don't see any, but I I will say too again not to just continually say that they got it 100% right cuz I'm sure if we looked we could find something but uh Patrick of course being a huge example I had no I had never heard of Ezra Miller I went back and watched some other stuff he was in since then but that kid came out of nowhere and he he was Patrick for sure 
Yeah, looking on the Wikipedia page real quick here, though, it does say that John Hughes tried to do a version of the movie but never finished yeah. the screenplay, and he had Shia LaBeouf in mind as Charlie, and I don't... I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't <laughs> I don't see that working out so well. <laughs> yeah, I get you could say I, it's easy to say now because he's done such weird stuff since then. Well, but... Yes. And it doesn't say when John Hughes attempted to write this. True. So if it were a younger <laughs> Shia, then maybe because he also yeah. has Kirsten Dunst listed as Sam. So for oh. Kirsten Dunst to be playing a high school true kid i feel like this would have had to be quite a while ago especially yeah, since the book did come out in 1999 maybe it was like closer to 2000 when he had this idea or you know early 2000s true. yeah yeah and i think i i mean i again i think uh the the casting of the main three are are pretty much flawless same with logan lerman where i i when i went back i realized oh i have seen him in some stuff he's just such kind of like a quiet meek guy um, but he he just did that that shyness and that vulnerability so much justice. Yeah, what I really want to commend Stephen Chabowski for is not just giving the film to anyone. Like he ended up directing the film himself, but mm-hmm. you know, like I just said, John Hughes was interested. And it also says here that people like Ron Howard, Josh Schwartz, Joel Schumacher, and Ryan Murphy, and some others wow. too, were even interested in doing a version of the film so you have a lot of interest here and he wasn't ready to you know just give it to anyone and i think you know that helps too when you know you're the owner of the source material if you want it to be a certain way and don't want to just hand it over to anyone your options are kind of to try 